when I say Israel, what comes to mind? Just don't say it out loud, just think about that. Israel. Some of you maybe are thinking, oh, Old Testament. Others maybe are thinking, end times. First thing comes to mind. Uh, maybe you think controversy, because there always seems to be so much controversy around Israel. Maybe some of you think in persecution, because the Jews throughout history, starting with the third century BC, have been persecuted. Or even the Holocaust, which was the most nightmarish, uh, large scale massacre we've had in uh, modern history, anyways, probably in all of history. Uh, maybe some of you are thinking politics, because Israel always seems to be wrapped up in a whole lot of politics. Why is that? I mean, this is a, a country that is the size of New Jersey. And yet, there's always so much attention paid to it. There's always so much stuff around it. Um, why is it that, at least for those candidates, political candidates who are trying to get the Christian vote, they have to check off on the mark, pro-Israel. The question is always asked, are you pro-Israel? And um, why isn't it, why isn't it uh, you know, pro-Guatemala? or pro-Grenada, or some other country, pro-Israel. Why, why is that so central? A little tiny country, and yet there's so much. Why is it there's this ongoing conflict, it seems unresolvable, between Israel and Palestine, this tit-for-tat fighting that is constantly going on? Why can't that be resolved? What's up with Christians and, and, uh, and, and Israel? Uh, this unconditional support, and it's very vocal. And Christians trying to block any kind of peace process. The, the two-state solution, no, that, that land belongs to Israel. What's behind that? And these bumper stickers you sometimes see. Be a friend to Israel. Or Jesus was a Jew, so support the Jews. Um, or uh, we are you know, for the nation of Israel. Or, or uh, one was keep your eyes on Israel. That's where God's stuff is happening. Uh, and with all these prophecies that come up around Israel, um, I mean, it's, when I first became a Christian, read Hal Lindsey's The Great Late Planet Earth, um, major, a major part of it was Israel and all the prophecies about Israel. And then you, you have other prophecies coming up uh, here and there about what's going to happen in Israel. Uh, by the way, in case you're you know, really concerned about this, September 15th, this year, September 15th, is the fourth of four consecutive blood moons. And that means something really big according to a lot of people, going to a lot of conferences, buying a lot of books, and they even had a little movie on it, uh, making a whole lot of money. Um, a lot of people getting into this, four blood moons. Ooh, uh, what's up with all that? Well, we're in this Twisted Scripture series, and I'm going to read three verses here uh, that kind of shed light a little bit on this, and uh, we'll go from there. In Joshua 14, it says, The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance, and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. The land in which you're walking will be yours forever. That would seem to imply that it's still their land. Genesis 12, here God is calling Abraham out of Ur, the country he was in. And he says this, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I'll make you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will bless you. I will bless all those who bless you, and I will curse all those who curse you. Be a friend to Israel, otherwise you get cursed. Romans eleven twenty six. 26. 
final verse, and this is like the major linchpin upon which a lot of this thinking uh, hangs. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles come in, and this way all of Israel will be saved. What's up with that? At the end of, at the end of history, is, is, is there all of a sudden going to be, uh, God's going to go into Ali Ali in free for all Jews? Uh, do they not have to choose to believe like everyone else? Doesn't a love relationship have to do with the choice? If it was something God could unilaterally do, wouldn't he do it with all people? Or maybe it means that there's going to be some kind of miraculous conversion of all Jews uh, to become believers. Um, how is that going to happen? Or some even go so far as to say that, that, uh, um, uh, that all of Israel applies to not just the Israel at the end of history, but all Israel throughout history. So all Jews are automatically saved. What's up with that? Check out these two videos. Michael Boldea saw that there would be an earthquake hit the, uh, the west coast. The Golden Gate Bridge would fall. It would affect 10 states. Large chunks of California would fall into the ocean. And it would be so bad they have to redraw the lines on the maps. I don't know if it's the same event. But what I can see is next year, Obama goes over twist the arms of the Israelis and says, you got to give the Palestinians a state because he's a Muslim, okay? And so America forces Israel to give the Palestinians a state, forces Israel to part their land, and within 24 hours, the earthquake hits America and God parts our land from the Great Lakes down to the Gulf of Mexico. Now, these are kind of things I talk about on the radio all the time. I don't normally talk about this on Sunday morning. I think it's headed for disaster for the United States. Uh, you know, God says um, they divided my land. There's something about dividing God's land. He said, this is my land. I gave it uh, to Abraham and his descendants, uh, and I don't want it taken away from them. And Jerusalem is the eternal capital of Israel. And for the United States to get into a deal where they're trying to split uh, Jerusalem and take it away from the Israelis and split up their capital, huge mistake. You're asking for the wrath of Almighty God to fall on this nation. And when it falls, it won't be fun. It won't be fun. And we should do everything we can to restrain our leaders from this full course of folly. And it is a course of folly, and it will result in terrible suffering for people in the United States. So this view is uh, often referred to as Christian Zionism. Um, and it, it's based on the idea that um, Israel is still central to God's plan for world history, uh, and that the land that was given to Abraham and his seed, his descendants, uh, is still their land by divine right. And uh, God will bless those who bless Israel and curse those who curse Israel. So uh, any attempt to divide that land in the name of peace or for any other reason is going to incur the wrath of God. Um, and then there was a prophecy going around uh, some, oh, I guess three years ago or so. Uh, I don't hear much of it anymore, but um, uh, it, it was saying that Obama is, this was a prophecy uh, that Obama, uh, who you may have heard, uh, was, is a Muslim. And according to the scholarship of the Internet, um, you know, his middle name's Hussein. How could he not be a Muslim? And Osama rhymes with Obama. And, and so there you, there you have a connection. Uh, and it's not even, you know, clear that he's American. Um, no one's seen his, his birth certificate. I haven't seen any president's birth certificate, however. And um, uh, that uh, he's, in fact, according to some of the scholarship on the Internet, the Antichrist. So 
There you go. So he's going to go over and uh, twist uh, Netanyahu's arm and force him to uh, give up a part of, make a two-state solution, give up some of the land. Because everyone knows how Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, just does Obama's bidding, and he has such respect for Obama. Uh, so uh, th that will happen for sure. And, uh, and then the minute that happens, well, then the United States is going to experience this terrible earthquake being split and across the middle and um, all of that. Uh, now, that didn't happen, and given uh, this present circumstance, I think it's quite likely it's not going to happen. Last I heard, Obama and Netanyahu uh, were not even talking, so uh, this seems like it's, it was not a, a true prophecy. Uh, but the, this is the kind of thing that goes on all the time. You hear this, all, whenever anything significant happens in Israel, there's someone saying that it fulfills a prophecy or it, it's a sign of, of uh, God's wrath. When... Um, uh, uh, Prime Minister Sharon got a stroke in 2006, Ariel Sharon. Uh, Pat Robertson said, well, that was God smiting him. Because in 2005, he had, he had given up part of the Gaza Strip to the Palestinians. And so God was smiting him. No, that's your land. And I'll punish you for giving any of it away. Why it took a year for him to smite him, I don't know. Uh, but uh, he, Pat Robertson was quite sure that that's why it happened. Or in 1995, Yitzhak Rabin was working on a two-state solution, and someone assassinated him. Ah, there you go. It's the wrath of God uh, coming down on anyone who would give up any part of that land. It's why you have this, uh, and it's not a minority or a, a fringe movement either. Uh, masses of people, millions of people who are saying the U.S. should unconditionally support Israel. Uh, no ifs, ands, or buts. Because if you bless Israel, America is going to be blessed. And the reason why we've been blessed is because we've been a friend of Israel. The minute that changes, we are in serious trouble. That's why certain politicians have to make that a, a checklist, have to check it off. Um, one uh, study I uh, read said that uh, while there's about 30% of evangelicals who would identify with Christian Zionism and uh, would you know, hold to a strong view of, of uh, prophecy and stuff like that, over 80%... I hold that Israel is still central to God's plan for world history. So this is not at all a minority view. And it's, it's likely that some of you hold this view. I held this view. When I first became a Christian, I, I assumed everybody did. Uh, to be Christian just meant this is your view of Israel. Um, I believe that those passages that I read earlier have been twisted. And I'm going to uh, here give four reasons why I think that is the case. I'll lay out my cards on the table here. This is a topic about which I have some passion. Uh, I think there's quite a bit at stake here, not just that it results in, this position results in people who are called to be peacemakers obstructing a peace process. That is itself a significant implication. But it, as I hope I will, we'll, we'll see here, it affects our view of the gospel, it affects our view of Jesus. It has ramifications for our life. Um, I'm passionate about this, but as I share this, I, I, I want you to know you don't have to agree with me. I always say people have the right to be wrong, and I'll honor that. Uh, but uh, I'll humbly share this, uh, this perspective, uh, and I just ask people to chew on it. Because for, for some of you, maybe a lot of you, I don't know. Um, I was very surprised, 80%. I, that, that was surprising to me. But uh, um, I, I, it's, it's very widespread, so it's likely that some of you hold this view, and I just will I ask you to consider this, all right? Four reasons. No, reason number one, why I think these passages and passages like them have been twisted. Forever does not mean unconditionally forever. Forever does not mean unconditionally forever. 
You find there are a number of verses that say, I give you this land forever, I make you these promises forever, but forever, in, in, in the Old Testament at least, does not mean unconditionally forever. Remember that the Old Covenant, the first covenant that God had with his, 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 that nation, the nation of Israel, it was a conditional covenant. Read Deuteronomy 27, 28. The Lord says, here's the deal, here's the deal. If you walk in my ways out of these laws, then I will bless you. And you will have this land, and you will prosper. But if you don't walk in my ways, don't honor my name, well, then, then the, I will not bless you. Uh, protection will be lifted from you, and other nations will have their way with you, and you will be uh, taken off the land, and you'll go into exile, and uh, you, you're going to suffer. It was always a conditional kind of covenant. And so when the Lord promises things forever, it's on condition that they'll, they'll be walking in obedience with him. There came a point, in fact, several times, where the Lord says to his people, because of your obstinacy and your ongoing rebellion against me, um, the covenantal curses are going to be applied. I'm lifting protection. Here's what he says in Jeremiah 17. Through your own fault, you will lose the inheritance. Yeah, that, that, that inheritance that I promised you forever, you're going to lose it. Uh, I will enslave you to your enemies in a land you do not know. You're, you're going to be brought into exile. And they were. They went into Babylon. They lost the right to the land when they became disobedient. Um, and so you frequently find, Lord, saying things that are supposed to be forever, but they turn out to be conditional. They get retracted. For example, um, he told the household of Eli that they were going to be the priests in the temple forever. Forever. They, they, they would be the, the ones to care for that. But Eli and his sons became corrupt. And so we read in 1 Samuel this, 1 Samuel chapter 2. It says, um, Mm, therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that members of your family would minister to me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. I promised you it would be forever. However, all bets are off. Why? Because the condition was not met. And so you frequently find, as Pat Robertson did uh, a little bit ago, that, that uh, Jerusalem's supposed to be forever uh, the, the center of God's activity. Um, and Israel, the land was supposed to be theirs forever. And they can quote verses for that. True. But it was a conditional forever, not an unconditional forever. Number two, unless you want to hold that Israel right now is walking with God and obeying all the laws and are honoring God and all that they do, uh, but I don't know anybody on the planet who would want to argue that. Israel is a secular uh, state, as, as America is. Uh, and so it's hard to say that they have a right to the divine land now. Secondly, all promises, and this is so important, all promises to Israel, according to the New Testament, all the promises to Israel are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The way the New Testament presents Jesus is that he is the embodiment of Israel. Uh, he is the walking, talking nation of Israel. This is that he is faithful Israel, keeping covenant with God, as opposed to unfaithful Israel, which is what the nation was. But everything that happened to the nation, according to the New Testament, was a stepping stone to Jesus, who is the fulfillment of all Israel was supposed to be. So it presents Jesus as the walking, talking nation of Israel, and everything that was true about Israel is, is fulfilled in him. So Paul says this, just to give you an example. Now, listen to this. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. So you find this all over the place in the Old Testament. Abraham, I promise you and your descendants, you and your seed, that you will be blessed in this land. You find that forever. But now look what Paul does. 
He says, Scripture does not say, and to seeds, plural, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, Jesus Christ. So in light of the revelation of God and that happened in Jesus, Paul now looks at the Old Testament and he sees something he had never seen before, no one had seen before. He, he sees that when the promise is given to Abraham and your descendants, your seed, he says that actually was to Abraham and to Jesus. Jesus is the one true descendant of Abraham. And so the promise is to Abraham and to Jesus. And Jesus is the fulfillment then. All the promises apply to Jesus. Uh, everything that happened before him was simply a stepping stone to bring Jesus, to set the stage for Jesus coming into this world. And that's why Paul says uh, in 2 Corinthians 1, he says, however many promises there are in the Old Testament, however, no matter how many promises there are, they are all a yes in Jesus. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. All the promises in the Old Testament about Israel are fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of Israel, the walking, talking nation of Israel. It's all fulfilled in him. And if it's all fulfilled in him, if all the promises are fulfilled in him, that means there's no more promises that need to be fulfilled in a nation, in a land. It's now been completed in the person of Jesus Christ. This is why you find in, throughout the New Testament that everything that's said about, Jesus, about Israel is applied to Jesus. Passages that refer to, to Israel get quoted and applied to Jesus all over the place. And so you find that you know, Israel was called God's servant, but Jesus is called God's servant, and Israel is called to be the light of the world. And the, the passages that are applied, that, that speak about Israel being called to be the light of the world, are applied to Jesus, who is the light of the world. Uh, you find that uh, passages that speak of Israel as the Son of God are applied to Jesus as the Son of God, and, and passages that speak about Israel as the elect are applied to Jesus the elect. This is why the New Testament authors are always drawing parallels between the nation of Israel and Jesus all over the place. So Matthew says, for example, just as Israel was called up out of Egypt, well, Jesus was called up out of Egypt. And just as Israel had 12 tribes, well, Jesus has the 12 disciples. And um, just as Moses uh, inaugurated the covenant uh, by, uh, on, on, on the mount, giving the Ten Commandments, well, Jesus inaugurates the covenant by giving the Sermon on the Mount. And there's all these parallels because Jesus is the embodiment of Israel, the fulfillment of all that Israel was supposed to be. So, folks, if it's all fulfilled in Jesus, that means there's nothing to be added to it. It's like if this cup here is, is completely full, uh, all, all the water that this can contain is in, in, in this glass. Well, if you come along and say, hey, this is also supposed to be in this cup, uh, I'll have to say, no, because it's already full. It's filled to the full. That's what the word fulfill means. It's, it's, it's full. Uh, you can't add to it. Uh, if, if it's full, well, then you just let it be. So also, if all the promises uh, that apply to Israel are fulfilled in Jesus, folks, there's nothing more to be said about it. There's nothing to be added uh, there's the, you, you can't augment it. You can't footnote it or anything. It's, it's filled. And so looking for, in my opinion, my humble opinion, I submit to you, looking for uh, uh, promises to Israel to still be fulfilled in a nation and in a land or anything else is simply denying what the, the fullness that is in Christ. It's all fulfilled in Christ. And so when we think of Israel, we should not think of, of the nation. You know, you have all... So many of these teachers will say, keep your eyes on Israel, keep your eyes on Israel, and they mean the nation. Well, I submit to you that when we say keep your eyes on Israel, we should be thinking keep your eyes on Jesus. Because he is Israel. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't get distracted from that. No, all the promises are fulfilled in Jesus. Which leads to a third point. 
And this is one that is, I think, so, so important. And yet, in my experience, the majority of Christians don't know this. Um, they're, they're unaware of this. Here's the point. Point number three is that the, a true Israelite has always been a person of faith. According to the New Testament, especially Paul, the true Israelite has always been a person of faith. The idea here is this, and then I'll give you a bunch of passages to confirm this. But if Jesus is the, the embodiment of the nation of Israel, he is faithful Israel, keeping covenant with, with, with Yahweh, well then, all who believe in him are put in him. So you find this phrase, in Christ, all over the place in the New Testament. You're put in Christ, and now you share in all that is true of him. You're in Christ. And so if he is the embodiment of Israel, well then you become an Israelite by virtue of being put in him. You're put in the nation of Jesus. You are incorporated into the Son of God. And so the church becomes the Israel of God. All who believe, all who are, are, are the, the genuine followers of Jesus. So listen to this. I'm, I'm going to give you several verses here. Keep your thinking caps on. I encourage you to take notes on this, by the way. You've got a little place in your bulletins to take notes. Because um, it's the kind of thing that, uh, uh, these are the kind of verses I'd like you to just have in your pocket, in case you are uh, thinking about this or you hear some teaching on the radio or on the television that's telling you to keep your eyes on the nation of Israel. Here's what, here's what Paul says in Romans 9. It's not as though the word of God has failed. It's not as though any of the promises of God have failed. God doesn't fail in his promises. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. No, he's using Israel in two senses there. Not all who are descended, physically descended from Abraham, are, not all the physical Israelites are really Israelites. And now he's going to give us a new definition of, of, of what it is to be Israelite. It is not the children of the physical descent who are God's children, but it is children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Children of the promise. The ones to whom the promise was really directed. Now who are they? Well, Paul says this a dozen times in his epistles. Uh, in Romans 4, for example, he says, The promise comes by faith. It's those who have faith that are the genuine offspring of, of Abraham. It's those who have faith that are, that are the, the genuine descendants of, of Abraham. So, and so that it may be, the promises may be by grace, and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, spiritual offspring, those who have faith like Abraham did. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have faith, the faith of Abraham, for he is the father of all. And then in Galatians 3, a passage I referred to uh, last week, Paul says, There's neither Jew or Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Maybe not physically, but maybe also physically, uh, uh, Jews who believe. But um, you're, you're Abraham's seed because you're incorporated into the one who is Abraham's seed. You're, you're offspring because you're incorporated into the one who was the true descendant of Abraham, the, one, the faithful covenant keeper. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. So you're heirs according to the promise. Now, all that was spoken to the nation of Israel is now spoken to you because it's all fulfilled in Jesus, and you are in Jesus. So, you are the true Israelite. Paul's always making this distinction. Um, and, then, and then in Galatians 5, he says this, see? Because 
The true, the true descendant is, is one who, is, who believes as Abraham believes. Well, that means that it's the body of believers who are the true Israel. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, Paul says. What counts is the new creation. The only thing that matters is this new creation that happens when you're in Christ Jesus. Behold, all things are new. Um, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. To the Israel of God. The Israel of God. He's speaking to the church here. He calls them the Israel of God. Because they are in the one who is the walking, talking Israel of God. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, when you are in Jesus Christ, and now you're made a spiritual Israelite, a spiritual descendant of, of Jesus. You're made a, a spiritual Jew. Um, that then all distinctions are gone, are rendered insignificant. Because you're in Christ, and that's your identity, as I shared last week. And if you weren't here, I encourage you to get that message. Uh, and because you're in Christ, if that's your identity, and if he's your life, it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile. That distinction's rendered null and void. doesn't matter whether you're male or female. doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. doesn't matter whether you're upper class or lower class. Uh, doesn't matter whether you're an American or Iraqi. Once you're in Christ, if he's your identity and if he's your life, then all the distinctions in the world, that the world invests so much significance in, and all the things, the distinctions that separate human beings and cause wars and conflict and the prejudice and all that, all those things are rendered null and void because you are in Christ Jesus and your heirs according to the promise. So everything spoken to the nation of Israel is now applied to you because it's all fulfilled in Jesus and you are in Jesus. And that renders everything else insignificant. And see, that's why Paul says that peace and mercy to, those, to the Israel of God. Because if your identity really is in Christ, uh, then there will be peace and there will be mercy because all the things that divide human beings uh, are rendered null and void. There's peace. The only thing that causes conflict in this world is all the ways we rank people and file people and separate people and distinguish people and nations and all the rest. That's what causes all the conflict. But when you're in Christ, all of that is rendered insignificant because your life and the meaning of everything is found in Jesus Christ. So as we're in Christ, if we're thinking as we are in Christ, well then, uh, whether you're... Uh, in the nation of Israel or America or Russia or China should make no difference at all. Finding significance in this particular nation or that particular nation or this particular nation or this people group or that tribe or this ethnicity is just not thinking according to Christ's categories. The only way to think in terms of Christ's categories is that uh, our identity is in Christ and he's re he's, he gave his life for all. And the forgiveness is offered for all. And we who believe like Abraham believed are incorporated into him. And that is all that matters. We need to look at the world through Jesus' eyes. And when we look at the world through Jesus' eyes, not through the Old Testament eyes, well, playing that game of, of what's going on with this nation or that nation is just a distraction. It's thinking, out, it's a step backwards to, to find significance in a particular nation and a particular property uh, is, is, is to think in Old Testament categories. It's a step back. It's a denial of the truth that everything's been fulfilled in Jesus. And now that we are in Jesus, all that was applied to Israel and therefore applied to Jesus is now applied to us. And you're an heir of the promise of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Think in terms of Christ's categories. Amen. Now, once you get that, once you get that, you can begin, you can, now we can make sense out of what Paul's saying in Romans 11 when he says that all of Israel will be saved. Let's, let's chew on this one. This is... This passage is quoted all the time uh, to say, look, Israel's still central to God's plan. He's still got his eye on Israel, and it's forever, and therefore we need to keep on obeying the Old Testament laws about blessing them and all the rest. So he says, here's the thing. Romans 11:26 is the completion of an argument that begins back in, in Romans 9. Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul is answering one question. 
It's this question. In Romans 9, he says, It is not as though God's word had failed. The issues he's confronting here is this. Um, God promised the nation that you will be my children forever. But then Jesus comes on the scene. And uh, most of the Jews of Paul's day aren't believing in Jesus, which, according to the revelation that comes through Jesus, means that they're not God's people. Uh, and so that raises the objection, well, look, at, then that means the word of God has failed. God promised us, the nation, the ethnicity, that we would be his children. But now, it's, according to your gospel, Paul, uh, most of the, the, those who are God's children by ethnicity are not believing, and therefore they're not God's children. So that means the promises of God have failed. Paul then says, no, 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 no. It's not as though the, the word of God has failed. Why? Because not all who are physical descendants of Abraham, not all physical Israelites are Israel. Um, all, not, for, not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. And he uses this, 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 these two senses side by side. And it's so crucial to notice this. Not all physical Israel is true Israel. Because they don't fulfill the purpose for which Israel was, 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 was raised up. Only, though, only Jesus does that, and those who are in Jesus do it by virtue of being in Jesus. Not all who are descended from physical Israel are Israel. And you find this not only throughout Romans 9 through 11, but throughout Paul's uh, uh, epistles. Uh, not, all, not all physical Jews are, are, are spiritual Jews. So he says in, in uh, Romans 2, uh, verse 29, he goes, a true, the true Jew is not just one who's one outwardly, but one who's a, a, a Jew inwardly. And the true circumcision is not a physical circumcision, but a circumcision of the heart that's done by the Spirit. Okay, so he makes this distinction between the physical Jew and the spiritual Jew. Uh, the physical descendants of, of Abraham and the spiritual descendants of Abraham. The, the physical folks who receive the promise, but those who really are supposed to receive the promise because they're the real offspring of, of Abraham. The distinction between the physical Israel and the spiritual Israel. And so he's arguing this throughout 9, 10, and 11, and he, when he comes to this conclusion at the end, here's where he says that the, the physical Israel has experienced a hardening. Okay, they're, they're resisting the Messiah. Um, but in the end, all of Israel will be saved. Now, if he was referring to the same physical Israel there, he just undermined the entire argument he's made in 9, 10, and 11, which is about this distinction. But if you understand that, He's using Israel in two different senses there. It makes perfect sense. Okay, the physical nation, yeah, in part, they, they've been hardened. But God, that doesn't mean that the promise of God has failed. No, the promise of God will never fail. It's going to be fulfilled. All who are true Israel are going to be saved. All the promises come to fulfillment in Jesus Christ, and all who are in Christ, therefore, are, participate in that and share the promises. God has never failed in his promises. If you understand that, when you, that the promises are directed not because of your ethnicity or your nationality or anything of the sort, but because you have a heart that says yes, and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you surrender your life to him, you're incorporated into him, you are made then the true Israelite, the true, true, the true descendant of Abraham, the true receptor of the promise, all of Israel will be saved. Hallelujah and amen. So you're in Israel. The, the, you're, you, you are in the, man, the one who is the embodiment of Israel, and therefore you are a spiritual Israelite, and you shall be saved, as God has promised throughout the Bible. The, the final point, folks, is this. The Old Covenant was always intended to be provisional. That's why it's called old in the uh, New Testament. It's provisional. It's temporary. It's there to set up something else. It's not an end in itself. It, from the start, has a... Uh, its, its goal is outside of itself. 
Uh, the Old Testament is like rocket boosters on a rocket when it's being launched. Uh, you know, the rocket boosters, get it off the ground, get it up into the orbit, but as soon as it's out there, it, it, it loses those. It, 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 they have served their purpose. Now, the Old Testament is extremely important, uh, extremely. You can't understand who Jesus is. You can't understand his identity, his mission, his purpose without understanding that background. It's extremely important. Jesus is part of the whole storyline of the Bible. He, he does, you abstract him out of that storyline, he doesn't make any sense. But it's important as the backdrop for the coming of the Messiah. It's important as setting the stage, laying the groundwork for Jesus to come into this world. And once that is done, now everything's to be cued off of uh, the person of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus comes, he completely reframes the meaning of everything that came before him. Uh, that's why Paul can see, he can now see things in the Old Testament that he couldn't see before. Like who the promises really come to, who are the true Israelites. All of that he gets just because he's looking at the Old Testament and reading it through the lens of Jesus. Uh, when, when we ex get the perspective of Jesus and read the Old Testament from the perspective of Jesus, well, we see something very different. The Bible is a lot like, and I've, I've used this analogy before, but it's like a detective no novel, where throughout the novel you, or a movie, where you, you get clues, but they don't make any sense. Until the end, when finally Sherlock Holmes or somebody solves the problem, and now you look back and you go, ah, that's why this happened and that happened and the other thing. Or it's a, a lot like the movie The Sixth Sense. Uh, or the movie The Book of Eli. Great movie, by the way. Um, and in, in both those movies, and I don't mean to spoil it for folks, but I am. So <laughs> plug your ears if, you, if you're planning on, on watching those movies. But in, in both those movies, the last minute of the movie, well, those of you who've seen it know what it does. It's like, whoa, what? What? No, no way. No way. And then you got to watch the whole movie again. Uh, and when you do, it's like, uh, I, now you, now the things fit together. I didn't know why I did that then, but now, now that I know the ending, well, it all makes sense. You have to look at the movie, interpret the movie in reverse from the perspective of the end. Well, the Bible is, that, that's how the Bible is. Uh, it, it, it makes sense in reverse. Uh, and you, when, you, when, when Jesus shows up and there's this new revelation, now you see that so much of what seemed like it was permanent back then, it actually wasn't permanent at all. And what seemed positive was not positive at all. It was meant as a negative thing. So just to give a few examples of this, the book of Hebrews. Um, the whole book of Hebrews, by the way, is, is meant to show the superiority of the new covenant as opposed to the old covenant. And he's speaking towards, uh, most likely, Jewish Christians who are trying to hold both of them as though they were equal. And the whole point of the book is to say, no, the new covenant trumps the old covenant. And so he says this, for example, in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. He says, if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, apparently there's something wrong with it, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant. And you find this motif throughout the old covenant. It's looking forward to a new one. So he's, he's appealing to that. In speaking of a new covenant, he has made the first one obsolete. Obsolete. The Greek word there means obsolete. <laughs> In case you're wondering, it's a good translation. It, 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 it's, it's no longer, it, it no longer has binding force on us. So the old covenant was, was based on uh, uh, a, a nation, calling up a nation, and rooting them in a land. And they're to be governed by laws that were uh, enforced through violence. And they had sacrifices that went on and on. Uh, that's the whole old covenant. 
But see, the thing is, is that there was something wrong with that, the author says. That was, that was God uh, stooping to their level. Where they, that's what they needed at the time, but there's something off with that. Um, and it's now rendered obsolete. Yeah, they had the, the, uh, law, but the law could accuse you, but it could never excuse you. It could tell you what you ought to do, but it can't empower you to do it. And so you're always falling short. And uh, uh, they had sacrifices all the time. But those sacrifices could really atone for sin, the author of Hebrews says. And uh, uh, yeah, they, they had the, the, a nation and they had the land, uh, but they could never walk right with God and therefore could never keep the land. It didn't work in their favor. So God could never really use them for the purpose that he wanted to, which was to reach the whole world, to put on display his glory and draw the whole world to him. And yes, they were permitted to use violence, but there's something obsolete, there's something wrong about that and something obsolete about that because that use of violence usually backfired on them. Um, God said he'd protect them if they walked with him, but if they didn't, then he wouldn't walk with them, and bam, they usually didn't, and that's why they lost the land, and they were subject to the sword. If you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And so that's why we need a new covenant. That first one, there's something wrong with it. It was off. It was temporary. It was provisional. It was meant to set something else up. Now that something else has come, and that's the new covenant that we have in Jesus. And the new covenant we have in Jesus isn't based on the law. No, the law is wrong and obsolete. This new covenant is based on grace, empowering grace, which is right and permanent. Uh, That will never pass away. And the old covenant that was based on a nation and based on a land, no, there's something wrong with that. There's something obsolete about that. The new covenant is based on a universal invitation to all people at all times of all tribes, no ifs, ands, or buts. It's extended to all and it's beautiful. And in the old covenant that was based on violence, there's something wrong and obsolete about that. But this new covenant at the center of it is we put on display the character of God by loving our enemies and refraining from violence. Uh, It's an altogether better covenant. It's a permanent covenant. There's nothing wrong with this one. There's nothing obsolete about this one. This one lasts forever and ever and ever. It's called the kingdom of God. And so he's showing that that now that the new has come, don't be thinking in the old categories. Uh, All that stuff was just provisional. And that includes the nation, the land, the law, the violence. Paul gets at the same point a little different way by talking about the law in Galatians 3. He says, why then do we have the law? Why was the law given? It was added because of transgressions. And the issue he's dealing with here is this. If God's always just honored those who have faith, well, Abraham had faith before there was a law. So why was that law given? And he's answering this question. He says, "Uh, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring, the offspring of the promise, those who believe, would come to whom the promise had been made. The promise always was directed towards people who have faith like Abraham did. Now, before faith came, before this this new faith covenant came, we were imprisoned. Humanity was imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. This covenant of faith would be revealed. Therefore, he says, the law was a disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, this new faith covenant has come, we are no longer subject to the disciplinarian, praise God, hallelujah, for in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Because you have faith like Abraham did. And, and your faith is in the one who is the fulfillment of all the promises of Israel, the walking, talking Israel, and therefore you are incorporated into him. He's the true descendant of Abraham, and by virtue of being incorporated in him, you become a true descendant of Abraham. What Paul is getting at here is this. God... The original plan wasn't about giving a law. God's never been a law God. Uh, but this, because of sin, he had to stoop to this level. Uh, and this law then becomes a law of prison. He, he uses this word in, in, that in Greek means captivity, imprisonment. The law is a, is a prison. Why? Because it can condemn, but it can't justify. 
It can accuse, but it can't excuse. They're given that. It was a disciplinarian. It teaches us something. It teaches humanity something. And what does it teach us? It teaches us that the law is a prison, that the law is bondage. You can't get rightly related with God on the basis of the law. And God's not this lawgiver, and you can't right, relate to God as long as you think he's a lawgiver. You'll never be rightly related, which is the word righteousness. You can't be made righteous on that basis. And so Paul is saying that God imprisons them because of the sin. He imprisons them in this law to teach them that this is not the way to do it. It becomes a negative object lesson. And in doing that, the law paves the way for the coming of Christ. So that when Christ shows up, well, now, we, now humanity knows its need for a Savior, that we can't do it on our own. We'll never do good our way to heaven. Uh, you, we just can't obey enough rules to ever be rightly related to God because God doesn't want a relationship based on rules. He wants a relationship that's based on the submission of our hearts. And so the law shows us this. It's a disciplinarian. But now that Christ has come, hallelujah, we're set free from that disciplinarian. We're set free. We're let out of prison. We no longer relate to God as a lawgiver. We no longer relate to God on the basis of the law. He gives us his grace. He gives us his spirit. He gives us his forgiveness. We are washed clean. We are made spotless. Hallelujah. We're made as the bride of Christ, incorporated into Jesus Christ, sharing in his righteousness, praise God, blameless before God. That is freedom, folks. That's freedom. But, amen. At, but to learn that, you had to learn the wrong way to, in order to appreciate the right way, to get ready for the right way. As long as you held up hope that the law could do it for you, well, you'll keep working at that. But then by causing us to see that we can't do it, Jesus then prepares the way for us to see that Jesus, relating to God uh, through the Savior Jesus, is the only way to be rightly related to him. The same holds true for every aspect of the old covenant that is negated by the new covenant. It's all there not to show us how to get right with God, but how, to be, how, but, uh, how not to try to get right with God so that when Jesus shows up, we'll see the only way we can be made right with God. So when Jesus shows up, hey, everybody's into the, you know, all the Jews are into the nation of Israel and the land and want the use of violence to overthrow the Romans and all of that. When Jesus shows up, it's amazing. He doesn't talk about the land at all. He doesn't talk about the nation of Israel at all. Um, his kingdom is in totally different categories. And he doesn't, he doesn't enforce the law the way that everyone thought the Messiah would. Uphold it and condemn the sinners. Rather, he's always hanging out with the sinners. And he's kind of loose with the law. He fulfills it, its, it's, it's, it's original meaning by living in perfect love, but uh, he, he doesn't go around enforcing it. That's what the Pharisees were doing, and Jesus has conflict with the Pharisees. Um, and instead of uh, encouraging the use of violence to overthrow the Romans, which was you know, part of the old covenant, uh, you, can, you, you can use violence. Jesus says, no, you, here's the new deal. You love your enemies, and bless those who persecute you, and never retaliate. Uh, what's going on here, folks, is this. Uh, the law was conditional. Uh, the old covenant was conditional. If you obey me, bam, you'll stay in the land, you'll be blessed, you'll be sovereign, you'll be free, you'll be prosperous, and you'll draw other nations to me. But if you don't, well, then all bets are off, and protection's lifted, and you'll be taken from the land. Well, here's the thing. For a thousand years, basically a thousand years, when Jesus shows up, it's been a thousand years that the Jews have been on the losing side of that covenant. They've been ruled by these pagan rulers. Yeah, they, they, they were in the land, but they're in the land as squatters. They didn't own, they didn't own it. They didn't rule it. They weren't sovereign. Um, they, they weren't enjoying it as an inheritance. No, they were ruled by different pagan rulers. And at the when Jesus shows up, it's the Romans. Uh, and and this, this use of the sword had backfired on them. They were the victims of the sword of others more than they would victimize uh, other people. It, it was a losing thing. They could never keep covenant. They could never walk with God. Uh, and therefore, the covenant failed them. And when Jesus shows up, he's basically saying, okay, look at, you know that whole thing about blessing and cursing, conditionality? Uh, 
You get the land if you obey me, and uh, you can use the sword, and it will work well for you if you obey me. How's that working for you these days? It's been a thousand years. Kind of been a negative thing, hasn't it? Are you ready for something different? This is what Paul says the use of the law was all about. Are you ready for something different? Are you done trying to think of God as this nationalistic, uh, tribalistic, geographically limited deity? Are you done trying to relate to God as this lawgiver God? Are you, wait, are you open to a totally new... Do you want the truth now? The truth. Now that you know the, the way you can't relate to God, the way not to build the kingdom, are you open to the right way to relate to God and the only way to build the kingdom? And the only way to build the kingdom is the covenant that, that Jesus offers. The covenant of, that's based on the cross. He offers them something totally different. No one saw this coming. This is the last minute of the sixth sense, or the book of Eli. Whoa, what's going on here? God is really like this? God is like he's revealed on the cross? God's offering us this, this relationship for free? God is, is going to empower us on his own? He's going to live in us to help us uh, walk right with him? God is now going to use us to reach the world? God is calling the sinners and all who have lost in the world's games uh, to be kings and queens in the kingdom? Is that really what God's like? And this is the new covenant, folks. This is what Jesus has, has come to offer us. Uh, and so, so much of that old covenant, every aspect that disagrees with the covenant that's there in Jesus is meant not as a positive thing, but as a negative thing. Though at the time they thought, they really thought you could get rightly related to God on the basis of the law. They thought that was the permanent thing. And now we see that that's obsolete and wrong. And the nationalism is obsolete and wrong. And the land deal is obsolete and wrong. And the use of the sword is obsolete and wrong. And those sacrifices are obsolete and wrong. But we are in something that is so right and so permanent, praise God, because we are anchored in Jesus Christ. And everything is fulfilled in Jesus. And so the only thing that matters is Jesus. That's why Paul always says, circumcision, uncircumcision, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> the only thing that matters is the new creation in Christ Jesus. That's all that matters. And so in that light, can you see, and I, I did warn you that I was a little passionate about this. <laughs> uh, but can you now see how it is that the idea to be obsessed with what's going on with a particular nation is just taking a huge step backward? Don't think in those categories. No, it's in terms of God's affection, all nations are alike. No, they have, some have better governments than others and are more just than others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in terms of relationship with God, he's just not into the national thing. He never was. He acquiesced to it because that's what they needed at the time. But that's not his gig. No, he's in the universal thing. Uh, and, and so he's not, don't be obsessed with a parcel of land. Uh, and don't think there's more to be fulfilled in the parcel of land. It's all fulfilled in Jesus. When you think about Israel, think about, think about Jesus, because he's the walking, talking Israel. If you are in him, well, then you are Israel. And now we are called to do what Israel was called to do. But it never could, because it, it only had the law. But see, we've got the Holy Spirit empowering grace on our side. And so we are called to display the splendor of God and attract the world to Jesus Christ. And that light, folks, in my humble opinion, all of the hubbub about Israel and and, and the land stuff and trying to block the peace process and chasing after four moons is nothing but a big distraction, huge distraction. Uh, that, on top of it, I think makes Christians look kind of silly in the eyes of uh, people that were supposed to be winning to Christ. So would you stand? As I want to encourage us, whatever you think about this, process it. Maybe some need to, last night I had a few people come up and their head was spinning like, whoa, 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 what? You just blew up my whole framework. Uh, it, you know, chew on it, chew on it. Maybe you want to listen to it, to it again and uh, look up the scripture. But our call, folks, our call then, as we are in the one who is the walking, talking Israel, is to be Israel and to put on display the splendor of the Lord, the character of God, the nonviolent, enemy-embracing, self-sacrificial, other-oriented, humble love of God to the world around us. And by that means draw all people to Zion, not the physical Zion, 
the spiritual Zion, who is Jesus Christ. Because everything spoken about Zion is fulfilled in Jesus. I could go on and on and on about that, but I better shut up. All right. Uh, as I close in prayer, I want to ask the prayer team to come up here. And if you are here and have any need whatsoever uh, to uh, I could use some prayer, maybe it's that tremendous headache I just gave you. Uh, come up here and get that prayed for. They'd love to pray with you. As, I, as we leave here, can we do it with a pledge to keep our eyes fixed on Israel? Keep watching Israel. But not the nation. No, that's Old Testament category. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. I find your whole life and your worth in Jesus. You are incorporated into Jesus. And okay, as we leave here, let's do it with a commitment to yield to the Spirit, to put on display the character of our God, to do what Israel never could do, because now we, we've got the Spirit in us. And we know God's true character. Let's put that character on display and draw people to Jesus Christ. Amen? God bless you guys. Go out and love on the world.